Uh, in a minute, John is going to come and conclude our blessed series. But before that happens, we are going to show you Zoe's story. I'm Zoe. I go to King's Church at the Hazelmere site and I've been there regularly for about a year and a half. I was born in 1987 into the King's Church family. I went to the children's work growing up and I didn't stay in shambles. Things weren't always easy growing up though and we didn't stay in church. So from my older childhood, my teens and my early adult life, I was not following Jesus not looking to God and not trusting Him. Having come closer to God again when I was at uni, I came back spiritually hungry. I was seeking Him, I was going to churches. But I was still trying to meet my needs in the old ways that I used to. I hadn't fully experienced Jesus' love and acceptance of me yet. So some of my old lifestyle was still there. I had my feet in both hands. My sister-in-law Angela invited me to Alpha at King's she said she'd go with me. She really prioritised building relationships, and she drove me to Alpha and back again. We had some really good chats in the car when I home. By inviting me to Alpha and coming along with me, Angela made me feel worthy of participating and welcome to come. She took away some of my fears and the need for me to think of that idea by myself and walk in the door on my own. What was really significant was that she took that step it takes us to invite someone to an event that doesn't normally go to church because they could always say no. But Angela valued my need for God's love more than her need to feel comfortable. During my pregnancy, I cried out to God and he met me in a really special way, letting me know he was there. That's the point when I gave my whole life to God. It was really important to me that I was welcomed as I am. God's given me a big heart to welcome others to know Jesus too. I found that I need to be sensitive to where people are at, and sometimes it doesn't mean inviting them to an event. It might just be showing what's up, or just talking about him. Some people don't look like they fit the box of going to church, but I think they need to be invited too, because they wouldn't necessarily invite themselves. And whenever I've stepped out, I've been pleasantly surprised that God is already working on people's lives. Brilliant. It is really good to hear these stories from within our church, isn't it? So before John comes, I am just going to read from the Gospel of John, different John, um, chapter 4, um, verses 4 to 42. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living, living water. 
But sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him some food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Over to you. Thank you, Joanna. For reading that. Um, good morning. I don't know about you, I, I'm still, I still feel like I'm kind of flying from that time of worship. I just, just, Jesus is here. He's here. And what a privilege it is to be together in his presence. So here we are at the end of the, the blessed series and, and with that passage from John chapter 4 we're finishing the series where we started it 
And in the first week, it was about looking at that passage to, to kind of see what Jesus' mission was. And it's his mission was to reach people far from God and to restore them and to reproduce the mission in others. And, and it was kind of equating that with our mission as a church, to see ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. And, and here we are again with this same passage. And again, like that first week, I'm really just going to be skimming the surface of this. There's so much in there, but... You know, I guess the temptation is, when we get to the end of a series like this, is to think, okay, great, what next? What's next? That was really good, but now move on. And so we move on towards Christmas and towards New Year, and then we get starting to get towards Easter, and we move on. But, but while we won't be in the Blessed series any longer, what I really, really want to encourage us in today is to not do that with bless. It's to not move on from bless and continue to pursue bless. And, you know, I think there are a couple of crucial factors that I'm going to look at today, crucial factors that will determine whether we do that, how successful we are in continuing with this. Now, why is it so important? Why is it so important that we get to grips with this, not just today, but on an ongoing basis? Well, Jesus said it in the story to his disciples. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food, my sustenance is to do the will of him who sent me, to pursue the mission that God has given me, to do his work. And so he's saying to his disciples in that moment that, look, this mission that God's given me and that I'm going to give to you, it's not... It's not dessert, it's not like an optional extra, it's the meal. This is the meal, this is the meat and drink of the meal. And so you need to take this seriously and do this as well. And we know God has given us a mission, we've spoken about it over the last few weeks several times. And it's a huge mission that he's given us, to reach the thousands of people, thousands upon thousands of people in this town who don't know him, who are far away from him. And if we are to truly follow Jesus as individuals and as a church... Then it's the mission that we must embrace and pursue with everything that we have. And that's why this is important. And that's why we've been looking at how do we actually do that. And so over the last few weeks, we've been unpacking those five missional practices of bless. Begin with prayer, listen, eat together, serve, share your story. This is something anyone can do. Any one of us can do this. And it's something that we must do. And it's been so good, it's been amazing, really encouraging to hear some of the stories that have come out over these last few weeks, how God's already been using this in many of your lives already, just in these last six weeks that we've been doing this all together as a church. And we've been hearing some of those stories shared, where somebody's taken that same meetings, and you know, we've heard stories of amazingly answered prayer, where somebody's taken that step, said, yeah, I'm going to put this person's name on the list, I'm going to start praying regularly every day, and then it's... God has just done something. That person contacted me. He hasn't contacted me for, for six years. Answered prayer. We've heard stories of just where there have been really encouraging conversations that have taken place. Or people seeing breakthrough with friends, family members, in whom there's been no movement, no interest in God whatsoever for years. In fact, quite the opposite. And then suddenly, something has shifted as we've been intentional about pursuing these blessed practices. We've had stories, heard one just last week in the, in the 11.30 meeting here, of where somebody has felt prompted by God, prompted by the Holy Spirit, to, to go to a particular place that they weren't planning to go that day, and there an opportunity has opened up to pray with somebody, even to lead somebody to faith. 
That's being intentional with prayer. That is saying, Lord, who can I bless today? Who are you going to put across my path today? What have you got for me today? And then being obedient to what he says. So we have those kind of stories through to the very ordinary, everyday life stories where, for example, someone's invited somebody on their list over for dinner and it's just opened up a new depth of relationship and conversation. Great stories. Now, we could, we could celebrate all of that, move on, and then very quickly forget. Or we can take seriously the mission that God has given us and carry on in this adventure of faith, because that's what it is. What I said in the first week, this is an adventure, and life with God should be a great, exciting adventure, and that's what this is. Because it's all very well having all of these names up there on the wall. And it's a great sight, but ultimately that's meaningless if we are not actually praying for them and seeking to intentionally bless, pursue those practices with those people. And that is down to everybody here who has put a name up there to continue to pursue that. So as I said, I think there are a couple of crucial factors that will determine whether we continue wholeheartedly with bless and it becomes part of our culture, part of our DNA. It just becomes a habit for us and we see many people saved as a result or whether it just kind of dies a death and comes to nothing. So what are those two factors? Well, I think it comes down to how you answer these two key questions. First question is, what do you see as success in evangelism? What do you see as success in evangelism? Second question is, what is your motivation for evangelism? For pursuing bless or for not pursuing bless? What is your motivation there? And I think we can shed light on both of those questions through this story in John chapter 4. So first of all, what is success in evangelism? Let's have a look at two extracts from that, from that passage we just heard. In John 4. So, first of all, verses 28 to 30 says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And then the second extract is verse 39, which says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of that woman's testimony. Now, which of those two extracts? do you think we are more drawn to when we think about success in evangelism? What is success in evangelism? I would suggest it's the second one. Because we can see the results. They have come, they they believe. They've come to faith. There is a clear outcome. It's like the deal has been sealed. Surely that is success. Surely that is success. I think we've got to be careful, though, with how we think of success. So much of the way we think about success in all areas of life is based on outcomes and results. And while outcomes and results are important, it's not the whole thing. It's not always the best measure of success. So, for example, when we go to a parent's evening for one of our kids, of course we want to hear how they're getting on academically. We want to know, are they improving? But actually we're listening out for something else. And so we can go home to our children and say, uh, your teacher says you're doing really well. You know, well done. But do you know what we're most proud of? Do you know what we're really proud of? It's that you are a great member of that class. You're a great member of that community. You work hard. You, you, you try your best. You're polite. You're helpful. You get on with others. And your teacher loves having you in, your cl- in, in, in the class. That's what we're proud of. The results are important, but there's something more important, much more important. If the focus is purely on results, 
Well, that has the potential actually to be pretty crushing for the child and for the parents if the results don't go the way you'd hope they, they would, which can happen for all sorts of reasons. Now, I think the same is true in evangelism. If you base your sense of success on the response of the other person, a response that you can't control, then there will be many, many times when you get not just disappointed, because disappointment is a natural thing if somebody doesn't respond in the way you'd like. It won't just be disappointed, you'll be crushed. And that will just lead to you giving up. Because we don't like feeling crushed by things. It's why our view of what is success in evangelism is, is, is so crucial to whether or not blessed continues as part of your life. As I said last week, even when somebody does respond, comes to faith, that's not your success anyway. It's to the glory of God, because only he can change someone's heart. We can't save anybody. And we see that at the end of the story, where it says they urged him, they urged Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many, uh, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard this for ourselves, and we know that this man, this man really is the saviour of the world. It was coming into contact with Jesus that saved them. That's what brought the result. Now don't take this too far the other way and let that make you shy away from taking the opportunity to challenge somebody to come to Christ, to come to faith when that opportunity arises. Jesus talks in that story to his disciples about sowers and reapers, that you sow spiritual seed and that's what we're doing through Bless. It's all about sowing spiritual seed. But sometimes the opportunity might arise to actually lead somebody to Christ. And it might be seed that somebody else has sowed. In fact, it probably will be. So don't shy away from that opportunity if it arises. But don't measure success in evangelism by outcomes. It will crush you. It will lead you to stop. So what is success in evangelism? Well, it's what the woman did. It's what she did in that first extract. So having had a revelation of who Jesus is herself, what does the woman do? One, she leaves her jar. She leaves the water jar. She's changed purpose. She was doing this, but now suddenly there's a new priority in her life. This is more important. She does that, and then she goes to the people she knows. She doesn't just stand up on a box and start preaching in the square. She goes to the people of the village. She goes to people she knows, and that's what we've been encouraging all of us to do through blessed. God has put people in our lives. There are people who are in front of you to go to and to talk to about this. And then what she says to them is very simple, it's transparent. She just tells the truth of what's happened to her. She's not trying to be clever or theological. She's not trying to explain substitutionary atonement or anything like that. She's just saying, this is what happened to me. And it's just like Val's story that we heard last week. We saw it on the screen. This is, this is my experience of God. This is my lived experience of God and who he is and who I am in him and who he is to me. It's just my experience. So you don't need to know a whole load of theological points and bullet points and clever illustrations just share your story that's what we've been encouraging all the way through this just share your story it's powerful let people see who you are let people see the change that has taken place and is taking place in your life now clearly because of what we know about this woman clearly some change has happened in her already because she has a reputation for immorality and she's probably the object of the village gossip and so for people to listen to her and respond, they must have seen something. Something's different. Something's shifted here. Something has changed. That's what people will see in you if we're living our story now, if we're living for him now. 
So she goes to people she knows. She changes priorities. She goes to people she knows. She's transparent. She tells her story very simply. But the crucial point is this. She points them to Jesus himself. She just points them to Jesus. Come and see a man. Come see this man. She doesn't know much about Jesus. But she's clearly grasped something of who he is. She doesn't know that he's going to die for her. And that he'll be raised to life again. But she's clearly grasped that something of the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is the way, the truth, the life. Come and meet this man. You've got to meet this man. He knows everything about me. He'll change your life. And because of her testimony, it says that they came out of the town and made their way towards him. She pointed them to him. And they made their way towards him. So what is success in evangelism? It is being faithful a faithful and courageous witness. It's being his witness. It's seeing this as your food and drink. The, the mission, the priority. It's pointing people to Jesus, knowing that their response is not your responsibility. And yet being able to celebrate when somebody does move closer to faith. It's being so full of Jesus yourself. So filled with the love of God yourself that people ask, what is it about you? They'll ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have as we looked at last week. And of course, it's right to be sensitive. It's right to, 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 to not try to force your faith or God into every single conversation because sometimes that's entirely inappropriate and entirely insensitive. But it is living out your faith in the sight of others. It is living your story now so that like the disciples in Acts chapter 4 who are being threatened and punished for talking about Jesus, you can say along with them, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's what they said. We cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Can't help talking about Jesus. Now, when we see success in evangelism like that, then instead of being crushed and giving up when things don't go the way we'd hoped, no, we will celebrate every opportunity we have and we'll celebrate it together. Every opportunity to be a witness to Jesus, regardless of the response. We'll be intentional about pursuing, seeking those opportunities, and we'll continue to pursue the mission that God has given us by continuing to bless people. So how we see success in evangelism is absolutely crucial. Now, there is a big obstacle that can get in the way, that can lead some, some Christians, to keep quiet about Jesus. And there's an attitude, there's like a trend in our society that I'm sure many of you will recognize. It goes something like this. It's okay for you to believe that, but don't try to convert others. You should not try to do that. You shouldn't try to tell people that Christianity is the way, that it's somehow better or truer than their beliefs, because that is offensive. And we live in a culture of offense, Everybody is getting offended by something or is seeking to avoid offending somebody. But, you know, to say it's okay for you to believe that, but you shouldn't try to convert others, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. So let me, let me just try and dismantle that particular obstacle for a minute. And this is where we come to our motivations for evangelism. So first of all, it's logically, it doesn't stack up. Logically, it's inco- incoherent to say that. Because what's happening is that you are effectively being reprimanded. If somebody says that kind of thing to you, you're being reprimanded for making a truth claim, a spiritual truth claim. And your truth claim would be that, yeah, Christianity is the way. It's not the same as all other religions. It is the way. You're being reprimanded for making a truth claim by somebody who's themselves making a truth claim. Their truth claim is, you can't do that. It's wrong to do that. It's offensive. That's their truth claim. Because you can't avoid making truth claims. 
Everybody does. Everybody has faith in something and are trying to get other people to believe what they believe because they genuinely think that it would be better for the world if everybody believed in this way and not in that way. That's what everybody does. And it leads to the, I'm right and you're wrong. And I need to persuade you of my side of the argument so you come over to my side. But of course, it's the I'm right and you're wrong thing that is the problem of human nature that's destroying the whole world. And that mustn't be our motive for evangelism. I'm right, you're wrong, I'm going to win the argument with you, that's what it's about. So you get over to my side of the fence. No, 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 because that brings a sense of superiority. And people see through it, people see it when you come with a sense of superiority. That mustn't be our motivation for evangelism. So there's a logical problem with that view of it's okay for you to believe that but you shouldn't try to convert others. But it's also a moral problem. If you think about it, if you were part of a group that discovered the cure for an incurable disease, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, cancer, MS, there's a whole long list. Not, not something just alleviates the symptoms but the cure that reverses, this this makes you well again, you would tell people about it. You would tell the world about it. It wouldn't be narrow-minded of you to come out and say, this is the cure. I found the cure. It's better than all those other treatments because this actually cures you. This works. That wouldn't be narrow-minded. And you'd probably do it with a fair amount of enthusiasm and zeal as well. Now, you're still not in control of people's response. They might listen to you. They might not listen to you. They might believe you, they might not believe you. They might think you're being over-enthusiastic or overzealous. But if you thought you had the cure, of course you would tell the world about it. Now, as Christians, we have something far better, far more foundational than the cure for one disease. So, of course, we go to the world. Of course, we have to tell people. And they might listen to you, they might not listen to you. They might believe you, they might not believe you. They might find you over-enthusiastic or overzealous. But if you believe the claims of Jesus, then morality would be to try to convert people. Of course it would, because you think you have the answer to the world's problems. There's nothing narrow-minded about that. I heard someone speaking about this recently, and they quoted from an article. And the quote they brought was from an atheist. So this was an atheist in an article saying this. I really can't consider a Christian a good moral person if he isn't trying to convert me. That's from an atheist. What he means is, look, if you believe the claims of the gospel, if you believe what you say you believe, and you're convinced that you know the truth, and you're not trying to convert me, then either you don't love me, or you don't actually believe what you say you believe. I find that quite challenging when I think of people in my life who I've not been reaching out to. I believe what I say I believe, so I must lack love. There must be a lack of love. And so here is where we come to the right motivation for evangelism. Let's have a look at what motivated Jesus in the story. See, the society that Jesus was operating in, it was a a patriarchal society. So it was a man talking to a woman in public. It's unacceptable because it's beneath him. Patriarchal society, it was a, a, um, a racist society. So the Jews viewed the Samaritans as half breeds, and it was a moralistic society. So a rabbi, someone like Jesus, someone of good standing, should not be talking to an immoral, fallen woman. She is just as shocked as the disciples that Jesus would speak to her. This woman is on the wrong side of every fence that there is, and yet Jesus engages with her. Because Jesus doesn't care what anybody thinks. He just doesn't care. 
about his reputation, what people think of him, because he is motivated purely by love. And he's pointing her to eternal life, and he's trying to change her beliefs, not out of a self-righteous attitude of, I'm right and you're wrong. And by the way, if anybody ever had the right to have that kind of attitude, it would be Jesus. But it's not that at all. It's a motivation of love and compassion. He wants the best for her. He wants her to enjoy eternity with him. He wants the best for this woman. If Jesus was self-righteous, he wouldn't be talking to her because he'd be more concerned about his reputation than he would about this woman. But instead, he engages with her, he talks to her, and he offers her this living water. Jesus is motivated by love, and purely by love. There are two possible motivations for us telling people about Jesus. One is pride. We can do this out of a sense of pride, and that can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways. It might be the, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm going to win the argument And so you come with a sense of superiority. It's pride. Or it might be, uh, well, if I tell people, it makes me look like a good Christian. People will think better of me. Or it might win me points with God. It's pride. Or it might be, this gives me a good story to tell. I've done this. I've found myself in the middle of a great conversation with somebody very recently. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, this gives me a good story to tell on Tuesday morning in our prayer meeting. Yes, but it's pride. Or conversely, pride can lead us to not tell people about Jesus. That can be the cause of that. Maybe you're worried about reputation, or you're worried about being rejected, or about looking foolish. It's all pride, because it all comes back to self, and how I look, how people see me, self-absorption. It's pride. But the other motivation for telling people about Jesus is what we see in Jesus himself. It's love. It's love. It's I want you to have what I have. I really want you to share in this. We heard in Zoe's story earlier, what motivated Angela to invite her to Alpha? It was love. There was nothing in it for Angela. And that's how Zoe saw it. She saw how it took guts, and it was an act of love to do that, because you potentially face rejection. It was love that motivated her. If we're only motivated by pride, then again, bless, it will just fizzle out. It will die a death. It will come to nothing. Either because pride's leading us to not pursue it in the first place, or because maybe you just get a hostile reaction every time because you're coming with a sense of superiority and people don't like that. Or maybe you go a few weeks without a good story to tell. And so what you're trying to feed is not getting fed, and so you give up. But love persists. Love endures. And if you're motivated by love, then you're in it for the long haul. You're committed to those people in your life, regardless of their response. Because you just want them to have what you have, because you love them. And you love them with a supernatural love, the love of God, the way he loves you. You want the best for them, these people who he's put in your life. And so you continue to bless them. Our motivation is so important in this. Now, if we're honest, we probably all have mixed motives. It's probably a bit of both in there. You know, we find it, well, I find it very easy to take any situation and turn it to thinking about how this affects me and how this makes me look and letting pride and egotism rear their ugly head. So how do we change the balance of this? How do we change the balance of our motivation? How do we pursue love and pursue the motivation of love rather than pride? Well, that can only happen when we fully grasp when we fully realize and appreciate just how Jesus is able to offer water of life this living water to people who don't deserve it 
So the woman's testimony was, he knows everything about me, everything, every detail, the very worst, the very worst. He knows everything about me, and he still offers me this living water in spite of it. This water that will quench her thirst and satisfy the longings of her soul that she's been seeking to fulfill in in men, in sex, in relationships, in all sorts of things. Jesus sees you at your very worst. The deepest, darkest secrets of your heart. He sees me at my very worst. But he still offers this living water, this soul satisfaction. Why? Why? How? How can he do that? Well, Jesus can only offer that living water because on the cross, he said, I thirst. I thirst. Because he experienced separation from God, the agony of that. He experienced what we deserve because we don't live the life that we should. He experienced thirst so that we could receive this living water that truly satisfies. He experienced separation from God so that we could be reconciled to God forever, for eternity. He gives us this living water freely and it's purely, purely by his grace. And when we get that deep into us, right down to the depths of our heart, it changes us, it shapes us, it shapes our identity. A lot of people's identity is based on difference. So I feel good about myself because I am not like them. Because I'm better than them. At least I'm, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm better than them. So many people's identity is based on difference. Many Christians still find themselves there. In that place where you believe, and maybe not consciously, subconsciously, deep down, there's a, there's a kind of belief that actually you have a relationship with God because you're really quite a good person. You're, 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 you try hard and you're moral, not like, not like them, not like those people. And so when you meet someone who doesn't believe in God and who doesn't share your faith, the underlying assumption that's at work is that really you're a Christian because there's something that's better about you because you've been able to respond to God and they haven't. So you're a Christian because you're better. And so the motivation for sharing your faith is pride, if your faith is built on difference. But when we fully grasp that our salvation is not achieved, but it is received, and that it is purely by God's grace, that it is a gift that is given in spite of your record, not because you're better than anyone else, but because you've realized and admitted that you're not better than anyone else, and you're actually in desperate need of God's grace, when you realize that you are so deeply loved in spite of your sin, then that leads to a different identity. It leads to a new identity that's built on a different foundation because you know that you are saved by grace. You're saved by grace. And so you can't assume that you're better than anybody else. Any superiority has gone. And so as a consequence, you become someone who can share their faith and talk about Jesus out of a place of love. Not self-righteousness, not pride. Jesus effectively said to this woman, I don't care about your sexual history, your relationship history, where you've been looking to fulfill all those longings that you have. I offer you this living water because I love you. Because I want you to have it. I really want you to have it. And because I will thirst instead of you. And because he says that to her, she can say in return, he saw me at my very worst. This man saw me at my very worst and he loved me. He loved me. You've got to meet him. 
You've got to come and see him. Come and see this man. He will change your life. She was a great witness to Jesus, and yet she had no knowledge of Christianity. She, she didn't have the full picture of who Jesus was yet. We live in a different time. We know a lot more than she did. So what's your excuse? What's my excuse? Just imagine this. Just, just dream with me for a minute. What if one person, just one person from each of your lists, from each of our lists, our blessed lists, came to faith over the next year? And each of those people coming to faith represent another ten people each with whom they start to pursue bless as well. You know, that's not just adding people. That's multiplication. That is exponential multiplication. That's doubling in size in a year. That's reaching the multitudes. That's reaching the thousands of people in this town who don't know Jesus. That is starting to see the fulfillment of what God has said to us many times. I have many people. In this place. Just imagine it. Imagine what it would be like. Just imagine Easter Sunday next year, Easter Sunday in April, we're going to baptize people. We want to have baptisms on Easter Sunday. Just imagine 10, 15 people in each meeting getting baptized. Each one of them there, each one of them getting baptized because someone took the mission seriously and loved them enough to take time to build relationship and to be courageous enough to make the invitation, to take that step of faith. Just imagine it, each one of them there because of that, because somebody here has blessed them. Each one of them representing another 10 people who are all in the building watching them getting baptised and hearing the gospel preached. That, that is something I want to give my life to. That is worth giving my life to. It's a great vision. But I heard somebody say this once. Culture eats vision for breakfast. Culture eats vision for breakfast. In other words, it's not enough to just want it. Even to want it badly. It's not enough just to think, yeah, that would be great. To see all these people saved through pursuing bless. Because if it's not seeping into our culture, if it's not getting into our DNA, into our culture, it will come to nothing. And we, together, are the culture shapers and the culture carriers of this church. And so I would urge every one of us today, examine your heart. Examine your heart. What drives you? What are your priorities? Is it comfort or is it mission? Is it meeting your needs or is it meeting the needs of the others? Others who are perishing outside of the presence of God. What motivates you? Is it fear? Is it pride? Or is it love? Is it love? Examine your heart and ask God to fill you with his love. Ask him to break your heart for the people in your life. Ask him to so fill you with his love that that you overflow with that love to others. You love others like he has loved you. Romans 5 tells us that God has poured out his love. He's not just sprinkled it. He's poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father, while we were still sinners... You sent your son to die for us, motivated purely by love. 
And Lord, I'd ask you to help us today to examine our hearts, to root out any roots of pride that might be in there, to root out any wrong motives, any wrong views of of, of success in evangelism. You'd root it out in us today. And you'd fill that place, that gap with love. You would pour out the love of God into our hearts today by your spirit whom you've given us. You'd do that in us today, Lord, so that we can overflow with the love of God so that we can see thousands, thousands, and thousands saved. We can see hundreds of people getting baptized. And we can continue in this mission together, that this becomes our meat, our drink, our priority, that this gets into our culture as a church, our DNA, that we rejoice together, we celebrate together. Whenever we hear a story of somebody who has blessed somebody, Lord, get it into our hearts, get it into our bones, get it into us together. The mission you've given us to see ordinary people changed by Jesus, to change the world. And Lord, it's not for other people to do, it is for us to do, it's for me to do, it is for you to do. Help us to play our part. In Jesus' name. Amen.